1: Welcome to episode 576 with my friend Marie. I'm Paul Gilmartin. This is the Mental Illness Happy Hour, a place for honesty about all the bullshit rattling around in our heads, from medically diagnosed conditions, past traumas, and sexual dysfunction to everyday compulsive negative thinking. Uh, This show's not meant to be a substitute for professional mental counseling. I am not a therapist. It's not a doctor's office. It's more like a waiting room that doesn't suck. I don't know, maybe there are waiting rooms that uh, that don't suck. Let me think about it. <laughs> Let me give that a bigger, a bigger awkward pause. Um, the website for this show is MetalPod.com. MetalPod, also the social media handles you can follow us at. Let's dive into some surveys. This is from the Ask Paul Anything survey filled out by a guy who calls himself Everything is Different the Second Time Around. Uh, And he asks, I've heard you mention the name of a book and its author on your podcast, but I can't remember the name of it. It deals with trauma from sexual abuse and how often people, while later repulsed, often fantasize sexual events similar to the trauma they suffered. Like a rape victim later having a sexual fantasy of being raped, even though they would never want that to literally occur again. Could you Please give me the name of the book and its author. Um, The name of the book is The Erotic Mind, and the author is Jack Morin, and his last name is spelled M-O-R-I-N. It's a great book. Uh, This is a question from Moon, and she asks, How are you? I'm doing doing well. I'm in a good good place. So, of course, uh, my brain is going to the place of, well... Something shitty's got to be around the corner. <laughs> um, what have you been diagnosed with and or what's been your mental health struggles throughout your life? Well, <laughs> you're, you're clearly a new listener. Um, I asked my psychiatrist once, what, what do I have? What's the name for what I have? And he said, uh, treatment-resistant depression due to childhood adversity. And I immediately put that on my business card. Um, I, yeah, I battle uh, depression, anxiety, uh, addictions. Um, Yeah, those are are, uh, negative thinking. Um, But with seeing a psychiatrist, taking meds, doing therapy, going to my support group, and all the, the stuff that's involved in that, I have a great life. And I'm amazed at how different my life is compared to 20 years ago when I was still drinking and just uh, just being an asshole. I had no idea how, how fearful and self-centered uh, I was. Not that I still can't be fearful and, and self-centered, but I feel like I'm Definitely a um, a better person than I was 20 years ago. So I hope that, that answered your question. Oh, and I'm also a serial killer. I should have mentioned that at the top of the show. This is from the Ask Paul Anything survey, uh, filled out by a woman who calls herself risk averse. And she asks, how do you explain your lethargy, such a good question, to new partners and practice being compassionate with yourself? Ever since I can remember around the time I began suffering from depression at age 13, I've dealt with stress and anxiety by sleeping. It's something that I've always felt deep shame about, especially in relationships. It probably has a lot to do with my parents calling me lazy my entire life. I require a lot of alone time, where I'll read a book or just nap, and I never feel fully recharged unless I take that time for myself. When bringing it up to my partner, I feel like a bit of a lame old baby in a nuisance. I'll also take anticipatory naps where I know I have to visit someone or run an errand. I'm not sure how to work around this habit of shutting down, and I'm also not sure how to give myself the time that I need guilt-free. God, that is such a good question, and I totally relate to uh, those struggles um i heard somebody say that people are either energized by being around other people or th- it takes energy away from them being around other people and i think i am definitely the latter so i feel like i can i can weigh in on this uh this issue um, and by the way speaking of issues the other thing i forgot to mention to the to the last question is uh, i'm a, a survivor of uh incest covert uh sexual and in- incest and emotional incest by uh by my mother um <laughs> how, did, how did I forget that one um how do you explain this to new partners and practice being compassionate to yourself I think first It's really helpful to learn how to be compassionate with yourself. It took me probably 20 years of hating myself for taking naps to say, you know what, so what? I'm fucking tired or I'm anxious. I'm going to lay down for an hour, an hour and a half, even though I've only been up for four hours. Um, I'm not hurting anybody. It's not making my life worse and I feel better when I wake up. So I'm going to do it. As far as explaining it to a, a a new partner, uh I don't know, there's there's probably a variety of ways to to go about that. Um but I think it's really important that that your partner doesn't judge you uh for that. Um and obviously, you know, there's uh, you know everything isn't isn't certainly cut and dried but um you know one of the things that I love about my girlfriend is she's never shamed me for sleeping late or sleeping a lot and it it feels really nice to be able to be myself and not worry about somebody using it against me, or judging me, or feeling less than. Um, so I hope, I hope that helps answer your question. This is from the love survey uh, filled out by a person who calls themselves uh, "Show Me Yours," and um, God, I, I, I love the the loves that this person filled out because so many of them. Uh, I think are, are kind of unusual. And uh, I love when people fill out surveys that, uh, I don't know, kind of break new territory or expand, expand my head. Um, they write, I love the format of this podcast. I love whomever designed the surveys. I love being able to sit back and marvel at the feeling of being human. I love my best friend, Grace, and how symbolic her name has always been in my life. I love that we met in fifth grade. I love transgender people and all the vulnerability my friends and I experienced together. I love drugs and introspection, but not addiction, of course. I love painting more than anything else, and I'm really good at it. I'm glad that I have a sister who is a prostitute because it wasn't me, after all, and to quote Forrest Gump, that's one less thing. I love that fucking movie. I love that my idiot parents are really young, never got married, and lived in separate states. It gave me a lot of freedom, many reasons to travel, and the ability to conquer them both. Uh, I love it. And by the way, uh, people who use the word hooker or whore or prostitute, uh, consider using the word sex worker. Um, it's it's just a lot less loaded than that, and I think it's, it's less shaming to... Uh, to people who are sex workers. Um that I leave off. I love when I, I love being mixed race and somewhat androgynous because I think everyone can see a bit of themselves in me at first glance. I love when babies stare at me in a crowd or when animals seem to smile at me when I walk by them, like they notice something good or special about me. I love when I think an old friend has forgotten me, and then they send me a one-line text message to let me know they're thinking about me, and they make it sound like it's their fault that we haven't talked in forever. I love feeling them soak up my guilt like a friendly paper towel. I love having a hot drink, a cold drink, and a warm drink, and plenty of ice as well at any given mealtime. I love eating salads because they feel like an effortless way to get fiber removed talk. Toxins and make my poop float, which is, of course, a daily goal. Um, by the way, if your poop floats, um, it's not a witch. And if your poop sinks, well, someone's getting hanged. I love that I found a boyfriend. Oh no! Um, I love going for a long walk and pretending that I'm just a tiny little passenger inside the spaceship of my body. Um, I love that I found a boyfriend who is more feverishly into holding hands and cuddling than I am. It feels like a huge score. It makes me feel strong instead of clingy, especially when he turns over, curls up, puts my arm around him, and tells me I'm the big spoon tonight. I love that he's effeminate without realizing it. It's a form of vulnerability for a cisgender, hetero, white, 40-old dude, 40-year-old dude uh, who was raised in the American South. He is a bit conservative. I don't particularly love my dude's open, polite, well-intended transphobia. I love that his dog Murphy is a girl and that he is so deeply attached to her because it helps to train me in not being jealous, which has always been a big problem of mine. I love animals and bugs and I wish I could talk to them like Eliza fucking Thornberry. I love learning foreign languages because it helps me feel like a baby again and I don't know another way to act like a child while also maintaining my dignity. Oh my god, those are so good. I'm going to take a uh, a break in the in the middle of these. I got a few of these left, and uh, I want to give a shout out to our sponsor this week, as always, BetterHelp.com online counseling. I've been working with my uh, counselor Heidi on negative self beliefs, limiting self beliefs, which I think a lot of times maybe I'll just speak for myself, can keep me kind of frozen and keeping my life small and not taking chances and putting myself out there for fear of rejection or, you know, getting too full of myself. Um, I, think, I think a lot of us um, who were raised in environments where there was criticism or we just had low self-esteem, uh, we find it comfortable. To just hover around the curb rather than to get up off the, the street because we're afraid that we're going to fall if we if we get to any any kind of perceived height. But um, I'm a big fan of BetterHelp uh, online counseling. It's nice not having to leave my house. Uh, BetterHelp's licensed in all 50 states. Uh, just go to BetterHelp.com/mental. Make sure you include the slash metal part so they know you came from the podcast. And then fill out a questionnaire. And if they have a counselor that they think is a good fit for you, they'll give you a list to choose from. And uh, if the first one you try is is not a good fit, you can switch counselors at uh, at any time. Um, and, um, yeah, you can get a – if you go to betterhelp.com slash metal – and, and do that, you can get 10% off your first month of counseling, and you need to be over 18. This episode is sponsored by When Breath Becomes Air. When Breath Becomes Air by Paul Kalanithi is the exquisitely observed memoir of an idealistic young neurosurgeon attempting to answer the question, what is When Breath Becomes Air is available wherever books are sold. Learn more at prh.com breath. Okay, picture this.
0: It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details.
1: Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. And then back to uh, Show Me Yours, uh, their love list. I love children. I love teaching. I love the Cleveland show, and I really wish there were a bunch more episodes of that shit. I love removing my pubic hair and grooming my eyebrows. I love being cold at night and breathing cold air while my body is wrapped neatly in a thin sheet or thin blanket. I love falling asleep and dreaming because it's like letting go and touching death. I love that I don't have sex fantasies involving corpses. I love that some people do have such fantasies, I guess.
2: Your fear of death is your love of life in reverse. and when you find them, it's a great
1: feeling. And I'm suddenly feeling horrible about <laughs> making that joke. But that's how far I will go to get a laugh because I am empty inside.
0: Ah, you're in the right place.
1: I am here with my friend. We're going to call her Marie. I have known you for, what, probably seven, eight years, maybe? I'm going to say seven. Yeah. Uh, support group buddies and... Um, I know a bit of your story but I've never really heard it beyond kind of the general sharing of it and you've agreed to come on and talk about um the things that you struggle with one of the things that we're going to talk about is sexual compulsion um but before we get to that let's let's talk about like where you were raised what the the vibe was what your escapes were as a kid, what your inner life and your outer life were like.
2: Okay. I was born in the Midwest, Mm -hmm. the youngest of six, a Catholic Italian Irish family. Mm -hmm. And, uh, what I remember of that is food. There was always, uh, eating and eating quickly.
1: Why, why so? Uh,
2: because
1: you or everybody,
2: no, I found it to be me, Mm -hmm. uh, that there was eight of us, you know, there wasn't always a lot of food and I would be sneaking food and, uh, eating it quickly so no one would see and part of my desire to eat was my father's rage he was a rager he uh he yelled at home he yelled at in at us in front of our friends at the park at school at the grocery store we didn't know when it was going to happen so I can't speak for my other siblings, but I know I turned to food. I mean, I know they did, but I can't talk for them. And uh, it was was a really big problem. It consumed my life because I, I wore this thing that I didn't even know was an addiction, and everyone else didn't and I felt excluded from a very, very young age from my friends and from uh, peers. I felt excluded, especially from boys. And my parents didn't know how to help me through that because they were living it. My siblings didn't know how to help me because they were living it, and we never talked about it.
1: And so what was your inner life like? What... Where would you go to when you would be by your Crazy, calm down. Where would you go to when you would be by yourself? You know, where would you escape to some place in your head?
2: I I don't know if I was so much of a, a, a fantasy person at, as a young person. Uh but I know that I spent a lot of time Speaking negatively to myself in the, abs- in the absence of any positive reinforcement, yeah.
1: was there any positive?: Oh absolutely.
2: My mom and, and, and my mom would always she would always say loving, kind things. she was the, the kindest, l- most gentle, loving person I'd ever met, and so much so that I made her my higher power. Mm. You know, I wanted her to save me from all the things that were going on around me, mostly my my dad's anger.
1: And did you ever say anything to, to her?
2: Oh, I didn't need to say anything. I She knew. I do remember one time uh, we jumped, my friend and I jumped my friend's, my neighbor's fence, and they had a pole. And so we went into the pool, and my dad was pulling up into the driveway, and I knew it because he had a bad muffler, (laughs) okay? So we both jumped out of the pool, and I ran up the street, and I laid on the ground in between the sidewalk and my friend's car. And for some reason, my dad started coming that way. And again, I knew because I heard the muffler, and he pulled into the driveway, right before where I was laying on the ground and got up and came and pulled me up by my hair. He never physically abused me, but
1: he made a scene. Wait, how is that not physical abuse? (laughs) Pulling you up by your hair. I, I mean, that speaks to me about how much we've minimized. If I had shared that my dad pulled me up by my hair... I know you. You would have absolutely said, oh, my God, Paul, that's physical abuse. Well,
2: yeah. I mean, I, I know that my sibling, my brothers, you know, they got the Hot Wheel tracks, hmm. you know, but he never, no, I was never. He that would was, hit them
1: with the Hot Wheel tracks. Oh, shit, yeah. yeah.
2: Of course, you know, and they all laugh about it, you know, as, yeah. as adults. We sit around at holidays and we talk about the Hot Wheel tracks, but he never fisted. that was the only time oh, the only okay. time he did that okay I you got know you. and um uh, i remember i went home and i was sitting on my mom's bed and and i was crying and i was like oh my god he embarrassed me so bad and she said he didn't even he didn't even know you uh jumped into the pool he just saw you hiding from him and he didn't like that you know and as a 15 16 year old you know i didn't know what to do with that you know i didn't know what to do with it when i was 5 when i was 7 and he passed when i was 17 and so i never got to know him as the the man that he was i just knew him as my father and this angry person i didn't know him where I knew my mom. I knew her likes and dislikes, and we were friends. And I never got to go there with him.
1: And did she ever intervene when your dad would rage? Of course she would. Of
2: course, you know, but how could she stop that, which she couldn't stop for herself? Mm-hmm. You know?
1: Did he physically abuse her? Oh,
2: gosh, never, never. There was never physical abuse, just with the the boys when they were younger, when they were acting out, mm-hmm. you know, that when he couldn't control that. No. I mean, and other than that, he was a good man. I mean, my mom was a stay-at-home mom. He provided. He went to work every single day. He was great with people. Like, he was a bartender. And he knew your name. And if you came back 15 years later, he knew your name again. Like, I got that from him. You know, the people, he, he was a people person. And he was funny. He was hilarious. So I'm not saying being in his presence was a complete nightmare. Because there were parts of him that were fantastic.
1: And I'm so glad you mentioned that because one of the things I fear doing this podcast is that it's just a platform for people to throw their parents under the bus, which, you know, the regular listeners know that it's, it's not that, but one of the things that I've learned in therapy is that there can be a lot of cognitive dissonance in your relationship with somebody especially a caregiver. And it's one of the most difficult things to navigate because there's, I think, there's a part of our brain that wants to say, "Was my childhood good? Good? Was my childhood bad? You know, was my parent good? Was my parent bad?" And usually, the answer is both.
2: Right, right. I, we listen. We, we lived uh, two doors down from a park, and my mom specifically wanted to move to that house because there was a park. So, did I have a bad childhood? No, I did not. Uh, I was loved. My parents were there and accounted for every single day. Dinner on the table. We sat together on holidays. You know, we were loved and cared for. There's no doubt. But there was this overlying anger that affected
1: me. So at what age did sex become an escape for you or compulsivity become something that you struggled with
2: i'm going to say around 13 14 and how i knew it was an issue that it was something the first thing was back in the late 70s we got the star channel and they played the same movie 24 hours a day. The first one was Ode to Billy Joe, and then the only other one I remember was lipstick. And there was a rape scene in that. And I remember having a sensation because of that. Like that was my first knowledge of something is happening to my body when I saw that.
1: Can you describe, and I'm not asking for anything Uh, graphic but can you describe kind of what your body and your mind experienced in that moment what your emotions were how you felt about yourself if whatever you can remember
2: well of course I didn't share it with anyone you know my sister and I would watch it and I just remember this excitement and this electricity that would go through my body adrenaline adrenaline yeah. yes and i like that and i remember one time i don't even know why this was i was in the bathroom and i opened the drawer and there was a dirty Book in there. It wasn't Playboy or anything like that. It was a physical book. And I was reading this erotic material and I was thinking, whose could this be? Mm-hmm. And at the time, it was just myself and my parents, my sister, and one of my brothers were living at home. So I assumed it was his. And I remember getting that sensation, you know, and I remember touching myself for the first time. And that was around thirteen
1: were there similarities between what you would physically experience when you would eat food and what you would um, was there an adrenaline high when you would plan to sneak in and get food or you know have your your secret thing
2: that 's a great question, two different things for me uh the The adrenaline was with sex, but the food was to numb and to silence. Mm. but they were both there to for a need nice. you so, know to fill some need
1: so one was kind of to awaken and the other was to put to sleep absolutely yeah,
2: absolutely, and in a shaming, punishing kind of way, the food never felt that about my uh sexual compulsivity no
1: and catholic holy (laughs) shit wow you need to be in the guinness book of world records (laughs) that's crazy it wasn't
2: until later in life
1: at a girl okay
2: it wasn't until i started doing some online things that i was like wait a minute, this is not how I was raised, and God Mm -hmm. is watching me. You know, Mm -hmm. this is not right.
1: So how did it progress?
2: It progressed because I felt, again, going back to the exclusion, because of my body, I felt such an outsider. And I remember my very first sexual experience was with a boy who went to a different school, and at 14 I lost my virginity to him and I and the reason I did it two reasons cuz he showed me attention hmm. and one was because I believed my girlfriends were also having sex because they had boyfriends and and boys were interested in in those girls <laughs> so that's what I believed it to be so I, but I remember only telling a select few people because they knew who he was and they thought he was gross. I actually told my mother about him years later because long story short, he is a is related to me via marriage. Mm-hmm. And my mom was like, What in the hell were you thinking? You know, and I was like, I, I wasn't ma you know, I didn't tell her how old I was.
1: Right. But... um He was age appropriate for you, though? He
2: was only a year or two older than me.
1: And was it his physical appearance that people found gross or his personality or both?
2: I think both. Yeah. But his physical appearance, you know, he wasn't the thinnest person. And, you know, uh yeah, there were, there were th- things. And whenever he was brought up, people were like, Ugh. you know, the girls were like that. So I kept it very close to my chest. And I and 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 doing some work on myself i realized that was the first time i became a secret and i allowed myself to be someone's secret cuz he wasn't telling anybody why would he tell someone that he was fucking this fat girl that was the th- story in my head
1: and was in in your mind was the having sex with him, something that was pleasureful for you or transactional just to... It was to- so
2: transactional. Yeah. And that's how it became. The next person and the next person and the next person and the next person, it was all transactional. I had not experienced pleasure, and I had only experienced it one time. Um, with my first love and that's it until I met, uh, a lover in the late, uh, 90s, late two thousands, even in my marriage, I, there was no sex in my marriage and that's part of my story.
1: Were you interested in sex in your marriage?
2: Oh my God. Oh my God. Absolutely. Absolutely. I had met my uh my ex husband uh <clears throat> in person though he had lived in in another country he was here, and we just became pen pals and so we were having we became more than pen pals, and so I was always like well, let's have phone sex you know mm-hmm. let's let's and he and i believed him to be participating and uh, long story short, we got married, and I moved abroad. And he was not interested in sex at all. Never. And I can count on one hand how much sex we had in seven years. Wow. And I kept saying to him, what's the problem? What is the problem? And he said, I don't know. We went to therapy. He went on medication. He, his answer was just always, I didn't know. And um, being addicted to sex by that time, uh, I didn't know how to handle that because I not only liked sex, but I manipulated men to stay in the web through sex. And how am I going to manipulate my husband if I can't have him to have sex with me?
1: It's like you spent all these years... developing this currency that brought you power and then he's like you know we don't accept that (laughs) that that currency here
2: because that's you you hit the nail on the head because all of that sex for me was power how can i get power in this situation how can i control this situation
1: give me some examples where that occurred
2: oh Absolutely, the one that sticks out in my head, and it's general. I remember I had said to uh, someone, I, very close to me, I want to be better than anyone, any woman he's ever been with, and any woman he's ever, ever will be with. And this person said, You weren't even present. And because I asked my friend.
1: Present how? I wasn't mm. even
2: present to the act of sex.
1: Oh, I see. You were if checked I out. I was in
2: my head, I was thinking, I got to be better. I'm going to do, do bells and right.
1: whistles. Right.
2: So he thinks I'm better than anybody here, and mm. I'm going to damage him for anybody else. Like, he's not going to be able to find that, so he's going to keep coming back. Mm. I'm going to be his drug. You know, that's what I thought. And so I said to this friend who is gay, I said, why, if you can have that experience with a woman, why do you have it with a man? He said, I'm going to ask you the same question. If you could have that experience with a woman, why do you have it with a man? And I said, because I can't get a strap on hard. And he said, "So it's about power." And I said, "It is."
1: And how conscious had that been in your mind until that?
0: Wow!
1: Wow! So how did how did you receive that new information? Was that
2: it? Rendered me silent. Uh, I I couldn't believe that. Well, the thing that really struck me was that I wasn't being present, you know? Mm -hmm. I was, in my mind, I was thinking about just how this could hook him. He could stay long enough through the sex to see what a great person I am. And then he's going to overlook my body, and it's going to be okay.
1: How long was it until you realized that you didn't need that and that you alone were enough, that you didn't need to do the bells and whistles?
2: I'm still working on that recording in my head. I have not been intimate with a man in a long time, in over seven years. By choice, I have... I have worked on myself enough to know that I'm going to do it differently. I just have not met the a person yet. And I don't fear m- meeting a person because of the acting out, part of it and the bells and whistles and the manipulation and all those things I used to do. There's still some noise in my head around my body, not as much because The goal is to have an intimate, loving relationship with my partner before my clothes come off, you know. And it's not about the act of having sex. It's about experiencing our love for one another. And I've never experienced that. And so I'm looking forward to it. When God chooses my partner for me.
1: I think a lot of us who grew up with our wires crossed and saw sex as something for validation rather than connection there's a cynical part of us that believes it'll never happen uh for us and and i was one of those people and, and as i've shared many times on the podcast you know lo and behold as a result of doing the work in support groups and having friends like you who unconditionally loved me um i f- I found out where the bar is for what i'm worthy of in a relationship and what I won't settle for emotionally in a in a relationship and th- that was revelatory to me, and I imagine you're on the same page with me in feeling that if I hadn't asked for help. And found this fellowship. And done the internal work. None of this. Would be possible. That I would still be in that same place. Of. Sex. Not being something that can. Spring out of the. Foundation of friendship. With a partner. And feeling part of a team. um, Rather. Using them as an object. To get high. And then discarding them once the high is gone
2: that's exactly it when you were saying that all i kept thinking about was i would stay in unhealthy relationships where people were men were giving me crumbs and it was enough for me because the hit got me so far and then i'd go back for more yeah you know and i would there was there lie in the fantasy
1: hmm. So let's if if you're comfortable talking uh, about it, what did the road to the bottom look like, and what changed for you to to finally uh, say, "Hey, I, I need some help here." Sure.
2: I believe the road began with my marriage, which was uh, not having any sex in my marriage as a sex addict. And I said, I am going to move to L.A. and I'm going to find my partner. And I moved to L.A. and I tried. I tried dating and speed dating and other things and it wasn't happening.
1: And you had divorced by this time? I was divorced. And I
2: I divorced and moved to L.A. two weeks later. And... I really thought that, you know, all these these things were going to happen for me, of which some did professionally. But I I came here, the dating thing wasn't working, and I listened to the recording in my head that it was because of my body. And what had happened was I got on Craigslist, and there was someone who responded, and I remember he said, come to my place and I said, okay. So, uh, he said, can you send me a picture? So I sent him a picture and he then automatically said he was moving out of the country and, you know, had no phone. And I took that very personally. So within days I got back online and became another person. And I started catfishing this person and, uh,
1: So you would send pictures that weren't to you? Of
2: course. I would get them off MySpace at the time. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and so I catfished him, and he was digging me. And I used the same vernacular. It was my voice, which was what I would say whatever a guy wanted to hear. I became a a sexual chameleon because not only— uh, did I enjoy that? But uh I got the attention. It fed me. It fed me and I had him hooked, you know? And then he wanted to hear my voice. And so I called him, or he called me, and he's like, Boy, that sounds really familiar, and he put two and two together. And so then I turned around and catched. Oh, it was
1: the same guy? Yeah The guy that was- said he didn't have the phone?
2: Yeah, it was the same guy. Oh! Yeah, so I catfished him, and then he realized it was me, and then I catfished him one more time and became a totally different person, again with the same vernacular, and he never picked up on it. I changed things a little bit, you know, but...
1: And you would make excuses to not talk on the phone?
2: Oh, well, he didn't ask to talk on the phone yet, but when he did... He heard it the the third time or the second time, and he knew.
1: And what did he say?
2: I can't believe this. And even when he responded to my ad as the second person, he said, you know, I just got catfished by this person. Are you for real? And I'm like, absolutely. You know, I mean, it was just this complete facade. And I wouldn't say I catfished anybody else because I was myself, but there was a lot of acting out. And if they did want to meet me, I wouldn't act it out. But those events was, was the brewing pot. That's what really set me up. And what finally set me over the edge is I responded to someone's ad. And he said he was married. And uh, I then had an online emotional and sexual relationship with him relationship with him for seven and a half years and not once did I think I was breaking the girl code when I read his ad and his ad said I'm married the first thought that came into my mind was he won't want to see my body let me answer this ad
1: wow What do you think or feel as you hear yourself say that?
2: I want to cry. I want to cry for her. And I feel it boiling up. Like I feel so sad that that's the only tools I had. And it got worse because as we spoke and I recognized that he was in a sexless marriage, my best thinking was, If I act out with him and we do all these fantasies, he can go and do it with his wife and he can heal his marriage. Therefore, I can heal my marriage. I was of service. That's what I thought. I'm being of service.
1: Isn't it amazing how an addiction can warp our thinking? And it seems so real and so true.
2: It's. I, I don't even know who that person is. Like it. Going through all of that and working through all that sludge. Like it wasn't mine to figure out. It wasn't mine to fix. It's not my business. Like what person wants a third person in their marriage? I I don't know many of them. Yeah. I've never met that person you know and she was the first person though i didn't do it in person she was the first person i made an amends to that was the one that was weighing the heaviest on my heart
1: the wife the wife and had she known about it before then
2: he said she knew i got you and we had met twice in person and though there, there was sexual activity there was not intercourse and I remember him saying that he told his wife and his wife said, good, then go to her. Then, then." And that's when I, shortly after that, I stopped it for various reasons. What,
0: what was the reason? Yeah, or sure. reasons.
2: The reason was uh, I received an email from him and he said, uh, you know this is all fantasy, and if you're in, you're in that's great. If you're not, you're not and that's when I said, I'm not I'm not in anymore
1: and what aspects of it was he referring to it being fantasy?
2: Well all of it, everything online it was all a fantasy, you know we would show up each time with a new fantasy. You know, let's do this. Let's try this. What about this? uh, this. this. And
1: and this would be uh, video, audio, text?
2: It would be, it started audio, and then we would send each other pictures and then videos and some audio. Yeah. I would never, um, and I would never uh, disclose who he was, never say anything to his wife. That is no i will not ruin his life because of my addiction and that is um that is my amends to myself and to him you know because it wasn't just sexual it was i i i became um connected to him emotionally we shared our lives with one another you know and he was a friend and so part of me misses my friend really misses my friend but I have a lot of friends. <laughs> I have a lot of friends yeah. and 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 the reason the and the main reason I don't do it besides you know is it goes against my morals and my ethics um but it keeps me a secret, and I am no longer a secret, and that's something that I have uh set for myself. It's been many years now that I have written down and spoken it out loud, I am no longer anyone's secret. So that was, th- that was the beginning of recovery for me. And I was with a friend who is my Eskimo. And
1: which, which is a term for somebody that, that kind of introduces you to help recovery support groups, etc.
2: Right. And so I was telling him my secret that no one knew about. No one. And he said, there's this program and I said okay, and, and and thus it began.
1: And what do you remember thinking or feeling the first time you walked in there?
2: I remember it was actually the second meeting because the first meeting there were bed bugs in the meeting space, so it was outside. I, in pl- a parking I planted lot.
1: those. To be fair, <laughs> I like to mix things up.
2: Anyways, it was it was a. It was the second meeting I went to, which became my home meeting. And they asked me to read the signs, the characteristics. And I was sobbing. Of addiction. Of addiction. And I was crying. I was crying. It was so overwhelming for me. And I would say for at least a good year and a half, I cried all the time. I cried until I didn't. You know, there was just so much in me.
1: And did that feel good?
2: Well, it felt great. Yeah. Not only did it feel great that I got it out, but I felt like I was supported in Mm -hmm. my tears because though I love my siblings, they're not a touchy-feely kind of people. Mm -hmm. They don't communicate how they feel. And matter of fact, they feel very uncomfortable because I do. Mm -hmm. You know, I hear a lot of, oh, God, stop that, Marie. Yeah. You know, put the luggage down, quit carrying all this stuff from the past. Why don't you move forward? Well, you got to work through those things before you can put it down. You just can't say, okay, I'm going to put it down and walk away. Some mm-hmm. people can. That usually shows up in another addiction, in another way. Mm-hmm. It's like my food and my sex. If my sex is good, my food is off the charts. If my food is good, I'm a little worried about my sex. Because, see, if my food is good, my body looks better. Ooh, I can go out, you know, and think I'm Angelina Jolie. You know, especially when there's some alcohol involved. But the thing, the thing that's different now is I have boundaries for myself. I'm not going to go out and drink more than two drinks, Mm -hmm. if that. And I have a community that's going to help me walk through this. I'm not doing it blindly. Mm -hmm. I'm going to have someone right next to me, or my phone's going to be right next to me. Like, I have people that love me, and for the first time in my life, ask me, are you dating someone? Why aren't you dating someone? Marie, go date. You're great. There's someone out there, like... Are you kidding? I lived a life where no one saw me as that. And so it's that alone is very comforting.
1: The the feeling of having our pain witnessed and validated is so life-changing. And the idea of it before we do it is so terrifying.
2: Terrifying. I especially found that about talking about my sexual compulsion. Because women weren't and aren't talking about it. I only knew one other fellow that was like me, and she spoke of it. And I remember my sponsor always saying to me, if you want to hear recovery, then be recovery. And if I want to hear more people talk about this, then I need to be the one talking about Mm
1: -hmm. it. Yeah, sometimes we got to go first.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. And then the, uh, I was bombarded by people. Oh my God, I know and I have, and I've done, and I've never heard anybody say that.
1: What'd that feel like?
2: Oh, it felt fantastic. You know, or even to sponsor someone that says, I've never heard anyone say that. I do that. And then to help someone through that, because I get it, you know, and to be on the other side of that, it's pretty powerful. Yeah.
1: Well, you are a, a beautiful soul and it's so good to walk this path with you. And Likewise. I'm, I'm glad that we were finally able to sit down and, and make this happen. And Definitely. just thank you. Thank you so much for your honesty and your vulnerability and just being who you are.
2: Oh, it's been my pleasure, and not only being here, but
1: being your, your fellow. I love you. Love you, too. Really enjoyed that conversation. Hope you guys uh, did as well. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only fourteen ninety five at Byte.com. Before we dive into some surveys, uh, if you are so inclined as to want to support the show in some way, there's a couple different ways you can do it. You can do it financially by going um, to patreon.com slash mentalpod, and you can become a monthly uh, donor for as little as a dollar a month, and sometimes uh, you get bonus episodes. I think there's, uh, well, I know there's one up there recently. It's... uh, a conversation with uh, Dave Anthony about uh, politics and kind of the emotional toll of living in uh, today's political world in in America. Um, you can also support us uh, non financially by going to iTunes uh, or Apple Podcasts, uh, writing something nice, giving us a good review. That that definitely helps. You can fill out the surveys. That's a great free way that, that you can help the podcast. Um, and you can do one-time donations via uh, PayPal or uh, Venmo, and those those help uh, greatly. And all that information is on the website. This is from the Shame and Secret survey filled out by a woman who calls her, herself a perpetually 12 and sad. And, you know, um, I... Find often that when I'm reading surveys, um, there'll be a theme that just kind of reveals itself. And um, these these uh, this collection of surveys is a little dark because a lot of them deal with uh, suicidal ideation or uh, you know actual suicide. So just uh, a warning if uh, you don't feel like hearing about that. But I think they're they're very compelling despite the the darkness. Uh. She is in her 20s, identifies as pansexual, was raised in a totally chaotic environment, was the victim of sexual abuse and never reported it. My aunt told me that my dad molested me when I was younger, but I don't remember it, thankfully. Just always had a bad feeling about him she's been emotionally abused my parents were drug addicts and alcoholics and they were very emotionally manipulative growing up with them was hard they passed away things have been easier without them i'm ashamed to say any positive experiences with them oh definitely i still speak highly of them to people even though i hold a lot of resentment towards them darkest thoughts i think about killing myself all day long and in various different ways and it always makes me feel calm I've been told I have quiet BPD, and I'm scared that I'm never going to feel normal/slash happy. Every day is an emotional roller coaster, and sometimes I just want to end it instead of working at my DBT therapy and trying to get a handle on it. DBT uh, stands for dialectical behavior therapy, and BPD stands for borderline personality disorder, or as it's now called in the in the uh, DSM, uh, emotional dysregulation disorder. Uh, My sister killed herself when we were kids, and I found her. And ever since that day, I've always wished that she would have asked me first because I would have done it with her. Oh, that is so heavy. Darkest Secrets. I cheated on my ex-boyfriend with one of our friends. It's the worst thing I've ever done, and I still haven't been honest about it. I think my brain is broken. Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. I think about being with women a lot. Also, pegging a man is another thing that repeatedly comes up. I think doing that might make me feel powerful in a way, question mark. Well, if you do do it, I recommend that you put on a captain's hat and uh, as you do it, you you say full speed ahead. That just gives it a nice little official flavor. And if he chooses to, he can salute you. What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I'm talking to a new, quote, love interest, unquote, who has no goddamn clue how crazy I am. I want to tell him everything, but I'm too scared I'll drive him away. I'm trying to be all of these things that I think he will like because I'm so scared to be alone. Wow, there is a lot, a lot packed in those two sentences or three sentences. And... Um, you know, one of one of the things that I understand uh, can come with borderline personality disorder is a struggle with boundaries, and a intense fear of abandonment, and it sounds like that uh, is directly related to these these fears that you have, and I do not have borderline personality disorder, but I can definitely identify with the feeling of wanting somebody to fully know you in the beginning of a relationship because there's a part of you that is afraid that you're going to be rejected and, hey, let's get it over with if it's going to happen. But it can be a little much sometimes for for that person. Um, and so that might be a good thing to work with your therapist about is, what do you reveal to them? When do you reveal it to them? How do you reveal it to them? Um, and, and to find a way to deal with the, the fear of, of being alone because um, using somebody to calm our fear of being alone is not healthy in the wrong, long run. Definitely human. Uh, what, if anything, do you wish for? I just want to be happy. Have you shared these things with others? Some things, but I stay pretty closed off. I feel like a burden. You are not a burden. That is such a negative self-belief. And that is also the most common belief of people who fantasize about suicide or attempt or complete suicide. That's uh, We did an interview with Kevin Briggs, who uh, was a, a CHP officer uh, who's area was the golden gate bridge and he talked to a lot of people who were in the process of attempting to kill themselves or considering it and he said the biggest two biggest things that he learned was one to just listen and two that that they all shared the belief that they were a burden i just want to say to anybody out there who is considering it you are not a burden you know, it is, you got a lot on your plate. How do you feel after writing these things down? Lighter, a lot lighter. Well, I am so glad. I love when I read a survey and people feel better after filling it out. And I'm so sorry about the loss of, uh, of your sister. I, I can't imagine what that would be like, finding, finding someone uh, who's taken their life. Oh, my God. Let's get to a happy moment, for fuck's sake. Um, This is filled up by Gerald Bostock, and he writes, "...some of my sweetest moments in early childhood were when my dad would tell his friends that I was such a mellow kid that he could have 50 like me. He was a woodworker, which I know is an occupation Paul is good at. I was so impressed with my dad and his helpers that I wanted to be like them." I decided to call myself a helper if anyone asked who I was and what my relationship with my dad was. He was older. Woodworking was an activity he took on after losing a leg and four fingers of his left hand in a tractor accident. People thought he was my grandpa. He loved to, he loved to ask them to ask me what I was. When I said I was a helper, laughter ensued. I didn't know what was so funny about that, but the sound of my dad's laughter made me feel really good. I would repeat that any time he wanted me to. My dad's laughter is one of those comforting sounds that will never fade in my memory. Needless to say, my dad was a bigger-than-life character, not just for me. He was amazing, and so was my mom. In this podcast, we hear so many people speak of their experiences with abusive parents. This makes me realize that I am very lucky. The moments I share here are emblematic of the positive impact parents can have. Hearing so many sad stories compels me to share positive ones to counteract. My heart goes out to all who have had traumatic childhoods. Thank you so much for that. Oh, love reading that. This is a shame and secret survey filled out by a guy who calls himself Moses the Vampire Slayer. He identifies as straight. He's in his 20s, was raised in a totally chaotic environment, uh, was the victim of sexual abuse and never reported it. My stepdad fondled me when I was laying in bed. I have no idea how old I was at the time, five or seven or so. I remember him coming in in the middle of the night and I thought it was tickling or something. I was too young to really know. As I got older, I think I knew but never believed it happened. My memory is terrible to this day. I don't remember most of my early years. I used to roll off my bed in my sleep and would end up underneath when I woke up in the morning. I also had an experience with some older boys that were sons to my mom's friend. They're 10 years older than me, approximately. I also don't remember very well what happened, but one of them would put silly putty in my underwear and it would get all over and then he would help me get it back out. It's very confusing to me now because it's a hazy memory. I guess I just detached so much during my childhood. When I was 19 or 20, I was staying the night at a girl's house that I had just hooked up with a few times. We had sex the night before, and I'd fallen asleep on her couch. I woke up to her on top, riding me. I don't remember if I finished or if I kicked her off. I probably finished. He's been physically and emotionally abused, um really abusive parents used him as a pawn in their divorce Um, lots and lots of emotional uh, abuse Um, any positive experiences with the abusers yes and yes this is what was so confusing to me for so long both of my parents loved me very much i always thought uh, if that was the case then i was fine and everything was normal Though the drama with my dad and stepmom almost splitting up, me getting arrested for shoplifting, and finally being away from both of them, I started to realize what they had been doing to me my whole life. I'm also a minimizer. I still have a relationship with my stepdad today, and we get along. I don't know why I don't hate him. I think I'm so dissociated with my childhood, I don't feel like it was even me. Darkest thoughts. I think about driving off the expressway into the biggest tree or off the dirt that builds up uh, an on-ramp and hit that like a ramp and fly through the sky. Sometimes I think about hanging myself on the pipe that goes across the ceiling in my bedroom. Darkest secrets. All the sexual abuse. I haven't told anyone except my girlfriend. I haven't processed any of it. I struggle to remember everything. I used to hump my stepbrother's cat and also my dog a couple times. I was such a horny kid. It kills me to think about doing that to my dog. I hated myself for doing that. He was my best friend, and I miss him so much. He died in 2014. And thanks to your previous episode about losing pets and non-marriage breakups, I have learned that I never grieved for him. I bawled my fucking eyes out that whole episode. That was uh one of the episodes we did with dr guy Winch, and yeah that was a um uh, uh, such a great such a great uh, conversation with him. I got a lot out of it too because um i i when my dog herbert died in twenty seventeen uh i just i could not get over it I could not get over it, and I cried for a couple of couple of years and I felt like what is the what is the matter with me and then I felt bad that I wasn't as sad about Ivy who died uh, a year or two later but sexual fantasy is most powerful to you having sex with my girlfriend's mom she's not hot I don't know why that turns me on incest porn and anything where the girl looks like my girlfriend so I pretend she is with other people getting caught is also a big one for me what, if anything would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to i want to tell my mom not everything is about her i control my own life she can't make me do anything anymore i want to tell my step parents to fuck off what if anything do you wish for i just wish that my half brother my mom and stepdad's only son has a tiny amount of the emotional trauma as i had he is 10 years younger than me and my best friend I try to keep him away from her as much as i can i want him to move away for college when he graduates and be free to decide what he wants to do with his life and not have her try to guilt him into doing what she wants him have you shared these things with others my current girlfriend is the only one who knows about the sexual abuse we've been together for seven years and she knows more about me than anyone in the world she is unfairly my therapist it feels good to talk about these things but i feel bad Because she has her own issues, and I don't want to be a burden. A burden. How do you feel after writing these things down? I'm not sure. I feel like I hardly, like I didn't hardly say anything. The stories run through my head, and are so sporadic I can't concentrate to write everything. I feel frustrated that I did a shitty job on this survey. I want to retype everything. Yeah, that that. This was a great and moving survey and so if you're listening to this has tell that voice in your head to, thanks for sharing but shut the fuck up and about uh you know sharing with your girlfriend there there is a fine line between being open with our partner and uh, making them our therapist and um, that's why i think it's so important to have a support network be it a therapist support groups close friends we gotta we gotta spread. Spread that information around, in, in, in my opinion, because we can overwhelm somebody. Um, anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences, just be care- because your parents love you doesn't mean they can't fuck you up emotionally. Intention isn't the only thing that matters. Your problems matter. Thank you for that. This is from the Love Survey. And this is filled out by that therapist friend who is also sad sometimes. And they write, I love the moments when I'm walking home from a party or from visiting friends late at night after having fun with some people I love and everything is quiet and serene. No people, no cars, just me walking down the street to my apartment. In these moments, I sometimes get a glimpse of absolute gratitude, contentment, and happiness. Everything I stress about, even unconsciously, suddenly seems to be completely gone. feels like it's not part of the reality I perceive at that specific moment. In these, moments, I off- in these moments, I often think that it would be okay if I die now, not in the way that I don't want to keep on living, but in the way that I appreciate everything I have experienced so far and that this specific feeling would be the best feeling before leaving this world that can be so beautiful sometimes this specific feeling passes after a second or two and sometimes takes months after it shows up again but like a good friend i just know that i will see it again no matter how long i haven't seen it i love that and i i love experiencing that moment too where you're just like hey if i went right now my life would feel complete this is from the Ask Paul Anything survey uh, filled out by a person, a non-binary person who uh, refers to themselves as. Is my addiction legitimate? And they ask, Have you ever struggled with quitting cigarettes? Yes, uh, I did. I smoked when I was in my mid-twenties for about a year or two, and of course, you know, being an addict, I went immediately to Camel no filters. Uh, And then one day, uh, sorry for the graphic description, but I coughed up something that was black and I went, I need to quit. And it was hard. It was hard. Um, I would relapse and start smoking again. But the thing that changed it for me, and this sounds so ridiculous, but I found something to do with my hands. I took up golf. And if I wasn't playing golf, I was watching videos about golf. And I don't know. That gave me something else to focus on. And also, I got to say, coughing up something black, it can be a good motivator. But, yeah, cigarettes are a motherfucker. Um, so I don't know um, what will wind up working for you. Some people, you know, believe in hypnosis or hypnotherapy. Other po- people, you know, swear by acupuncture or the nicotine patch. Um I just know that that's what worked for me. But, yeah. uh, Cigarettes are a motherfucker. I I always prepare more surveys than I have the energy (laughs) to read. I'm going to jump forward to one. This is a shame and secret survey filled out by a woman who calls herself too tall to hang myself. What is the cutoff point, by the way? She identifies as straight. She's in her 20s, was raised in a slightly dysfunctional environment. I would say more than slightly dysfunctional. Uh, Ever been the victim of sexual abuse? Some stuff happened, but I don't know if it counts. Uh, Yeah, it definitely counts. She writes, My mother was hypersexual when I was younger. She would smack my ass saying how wonderful my figure was, and she would try to bathe me until I was 12 years old, even though I expressed my dislike for it. That is so fucked up. And I experienced that around that age, an unnecessary bath that completely fucked me up. She's been emotionally abused. Uh, My mom is a complete narcissist. If I don't do the best in an exam, she will criticize me and tell me how useless I am compared to my brother or other family members. When I don't win a race in sporting events she forces me to participate in, she will tell me how unfit and hopeless I am and how bad I make her look. Jesus. Any positive experiences with them? When I'm doing well in life, my mom shows me lots of affection. Uh, we've had many positive experiences, such as going to films together and other activities. That can be the thing that fucks us up so much too. Is when we do what they want us to do, then we get what we perceive as love. But uh, you know, conditional love is is so damaging. It's it's uh, it's so confusing. Darkest thoughts. Sometimes I wish my brother would pass away. I know it's horrifying, but he's my mother's favorite and she uses his achievements against me. He was a straight-A student and is currently studying neuroscience in university. He was also a high-level swimmer and my mom expects me to follow in his footsteps. Darkest secrets. I've tried to kill myself twice. Both times I didn't stop of my own accord and I still wish to end my life. I plan it extensively every day. Please, please, please talk to someone. Please, please, please reach out for help. Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. One of my deepest fantasies has always been being dominated or even raped by a man. The thought of it arouses me as well as terrifies me. Whenever I think about it, I feel like I'm broken in some way. You are not broken. That is a common fantasy that people have despite... Them being horrified of it in real life. And as I talked about earlier in the podcast, that book, uh, The Erotic Mind by Jack Moran, breaks all of that stuff down and explains the way the brain works and fantasies and trauma interact. Um, I highly recommend reading that. What, if anything, do you wish for? um, Or what, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I would like to tell my dad how my mother treated both me and my brother. And I would want to ask him to not be as emotionally closed off as he was so we could feel as if we could speak to him. What if anything do you wish for? This is probably not what this question is asking, but I wish for death. If you're asking for a happy wish, I would like a stable environment since I never had that as a child. Have you shared these things with others? I have not. Uh, as I feel it would jeopardize our relationship and I wouldn't even get the limited love I get at the moment. Uh, How do you feel after writing these things down? I feel the same as beforehand. Anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences? I would tell them that even though you feel like nothing will improve and that you won't ever get validation, you will feel better over time and you don't need that validation from your family. You can validate yourself. Look back on your achievements and be proud. And I would say even more than that, forget about the achievements. Just look at yourself and be proud. And I know that sounds so fucking cheesy and new agey, but it's true. You know, it had never occurred to me until I was in a support group, in like my seventh or eighth year in a support group, that this mentor said to me, you don't have to do anything to be worthy of love. Just being born, you are worthy of love. And that was mind-blowing to me. This is a happy moment filled out by a woman who calls herself Hi Paul. And her happy moment, watching a movie under a blanket in the afternoon with my five-year-old that we both legitimately enjoyed. She had a cold and was home from school. There was sunshine coming through the window. I felt proud of my decision decision to work for myself so I can take a random afternoon off and even more proud of myself for actually doing it, which I don't often enough. It feels rare to have one-on-one time with one of my kids like that, cuddling under a blanket. I love her company so much. Mm. I don't think I need to say how much I fucking love hearing that. Can I make more paper rattling noises? This is from the Shame and Secrets survey filled out by a guy who calls himself Lucky Bastard. Uh, he identifies as straight. He is in his 40s. He was raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment, I would say worse than that. Ever been the victim of sexual abuse? Some stuff happened, but I don't know if it counts. I would say it definitely counts. Mother used to play with my penis when I was having a bath and commented about its size until I reached about 11 when I locked the door to the bathroom to stop her coming in. Elder sister liked to do what she called hanky-panky after school when we got home. Both parents worked, so there was no person at home. Basically, I was encouraged to masturbate her and play with her breasts. My separated wife wanted to have sex in ways that I didn't want to. I went along with what she said so she wouldn't scream at me or hit me. He's been physically and emotionally abused. Uh, Parents didn't give a shit about me. They were only interested in my sister, who required lots of help. Uh, quote, we always knew you were the type of person who could look after themselves, unquote, used to get hit a lot, mother used to really like punching me, separated wife used to shout, scream at me, occasionally punch me, made me do stuff in bed that I didn't want to, I feel like a coward for never walking away, I'm shit, I'm weak, I'm a pussy, just a complete waste of fucking space, didn't stand up for myself, so deserve all I get. how do I explain this or weigh in on this the shit that happened to you is fucking real and it deserves to be given weight and more than anything processed because one of the ways that we can stay stuck is demean ourselves using words you use like a coward and I'm shit I'm weak I'm a pussy and that keeps us from taking the risk of opening up with someone and actually moving our feet and getting help for ourselves and that is your responsibility you're not responsible for what happened to you as a kid but you are responsible for what you do with that as an adult and don't Don't listen to those. those, I know it's really fucking hard because it feels so real, those things that we tell ourselves. But tell, tell, tell that mean voice in your brain to go fuck itself. Any positive experiences with the abusers? As the childhood rhyme goes, when she was good, she was very, very good. And when she was bad, she was horrid. I don't have any contact with my family anymore and I went to court to have no contact with my separated wife, because I was brought up to love them and help them. Even now, I find that I do. If I am around them, it's better for me to not contact them. Darkest thoughts. I'm just. I just want to not be here anymore. Darkest secrets. I'm actually a very, very boring person, and I like that. I think I'm shit at my job, and I think I'm a poor father not giving my kids the attention they deserve. Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. I want the partner to be happy. I get off on them getting off. It's sort of embarrassing as men are meant to be dominant. I think that's a a trope, and I think that's awesome that you get off on them getting off. What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I love you. Why not? Because they would laugh and call me a silly little boy. Have you shared these things with others? Why bother? I need to work to provide for my kids. If I don't work, then they would end up in a car. I'm not letting them down. Those two things are not mutually exclusive. How do you feel after writing these things down? Wow, am I fucked up. But fuck it, the sun still rises every day. The mountains look beautiful. What the fuck am I worrying about? Uh, Buddy, I'm sending you a hug and I really, really hope that you can start telling that mean voice in your brain to to go fuck itself and start reaching out for the the love and the acceptance that that you deserve and i think you'll find that you will be more present for your kids you know that that negative voice in our brain when we are beholden to it it sucks up so much of our energy and attention and we become so self involved. And, you know, I, I, I have found that the healthier my attitude is towards myself, the more I'm able to be present and helpful to others and to myself. Oh, that sounds so cheesy. And finally, this is a happy moment filled out by an agender person who refers to themselves as Charlie. And they write, it sounds very small, but it's very big to me. My partner and I have been struggling financially, and simultaneously I've been going through the worst mental health period I've had in a long time. We couldn't afford to see the new Marvel movie, which I'd been looking forward to for months. Mother-in-law wanted to be supportive, so she came to me recently and pretended she really wanted to see this movie, but had no one to go with. I never in my whole childhood had a parent do something I wanted to do, whether I was sad or not. We didn't see kids' movies or go to parks. Sitting in a dark theater with this wonderful 60-year-old woman who is telling me how excited she is to see, quote, the Spider-Man, unquote. I felt so happy, loved, and parented for the first time. I couldn't stop smiling. She did not understand the film, and I don't think she will ever understand how much I love her for this two-hour act of kindness. That is so beautiful. God. And those, I think, are my favorite moments in life is that those just little sublime moments of human connection and feeling seen and... or being the other person and being helpful to someone, doing something kind. Um, yeah. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed our episode today. And you know, if you're out there and you're struggling, just never, never, ever, ever forget that you are not alone. And thanks for listening. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautiful. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some
0: weird way.